We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 242 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. It is, yes, two, dot, two, dot, two, two. It is the day on which the team that used to be known as the Redskins then became known as the Washington football team, will announce a new permanent name. And any suspense (laughs) seems to have gone bye-bye. Commanders, almost certainly, is the name. Unless this is an elaborate ruse, Commanders is the name. NBC4, via Chopper Brad, who you can follow on Twitter, at Chopper4Brad, broke the news. Uh, Chopper4Brad, on Tuesday evening, tweeted out footage from high above FedEx Field, where the new name will be announced on Wednesday morning. The footage includes gear or a box or something through a window that clearly says commanders. And so when you combine that with Washington, all-time great quarterback Joe Theismann strongly indicating on CBS Sports Radio on Monday morning that commanders is the name, along with that video of a piece of paper with a commander's logo being visible on the armrest of a chair on which Jason Wright was sitting, again, unless this is an intricate high-level ruse Uh, Commanders is the name. The Washington Commanders is the new name of the team formerly known as the Redskins, then known as the Washington football team. Uh, The team not exactly all buttoned up when it comes to keeping the name Commanders a secret, although the new name for the team isn't even the biggest story in the NFL on this Wednesday. How about this Brian Flores lawsuit? A bombshell. That came out on Tuesday. Former Miami Dolphins head coach 
Brian Flores has sued the NFL and three teams, the Dolphins, the Denver Broncos, and the New York Giants, alleging discrimination regarding his firing by the Dolphins and his interview processes with the Broncos and Giants. This is a 58-page lawsuit. It was filed in Manhattan Federal Court on Tuesday. The lawsuit seeks class action status and maybe the biggest whopper of all. Flores alleges that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross attempted to incentivize Flores to tank. Yes, all that talk in the 2019 season of the Dolphins tanking, at least according to this lawsuit, that talk was justified. The idea that the Dolphins were trying to tank is true. According to this lawsuit, Ross offered Flores $100,000 for every loss for the Dolphins that season. This is a massive deal. This Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL and three of its teams. Again, the Dolphins, the Broncos, and the Giants. So if you're Dan Snyder, on this Wednesday, on this 2.2.22, yeah, you don't like the name announcement being totally trumped by the Brian Flores lawsuit, but (laughs) you do have to love that for once, a major NFL controversy and a major lawsuit in the NFL don't involve you. (laughs) Like for once, Danny, at least for now, isn't involved in a major NFL controversy and major NFL lawsuit. We call that a win in these parts. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Danny. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy 2.2.22. Hello and welcome to a special installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What is an ultra-packed installment of the podcast. Great to have you with us. The announcement of the new name on the Today Show on NBC was expected on Wednesday morning around 8. This show is out before then, but this show is a final goodbye to the name Redskins. Next segment, an in-depth and honest conversation about why truly the name Redskins has gone away and about where I'm at as a fan of the team with the name now permanently changing. You know, we're all different with this stuff. I'll explain where I'm at coming up. I will talk actual football on the show as well. Tom Brady is retiring. Oh, by the way, uh, Brady made that announcement on Tuesday morning. Yeah, Tom Brady retired on Tuesday, and that wasn't even the biggest NFL story of the day, but there are Washington implications with Tom Brady retiring. I'll get to those in a bit. Also on the show, I'll give you my thoughts on a very busy night in Washington, D.C. sports. I'll talk Capitals. Big win for them on Tuesday night. A 4-3 overtime victory at the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Reeling Wizards, another loss for them, uh, 112-98 at the Milwaukee Bucks. Maryland, another loss for the Terrapins. Uh, they fell to 3-8 and in the Big Ten with a 65-63 loss to number 13 Michigan State at Xfinity Center in College Park. Uh, Georgetown, another loss for the Hoyas. Uh, they fell to 0-8 in the Big East with a 70-63 loss to Seton Hall at Capital One Arena. Uh, way too much losing in these parts these days. Virginia did win on Tuesday evening. Uh wah did come through. The Cavaliers improved to 7-5 in the ACC with a 67-55 win over Boston College at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. So I'll hit on all of that. Ain't no podcast that covers D.C. area sports 
like this podcast. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to advertise on the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to reach thousands of people every day to grow your business or practice, put the power of the pod to work for you. Podcast advertising, very affordable, uh, very much gives you a bang for your buck. New episode of the Al Galdi podcast out each weekday morning by the 5 a.m. hour. Hit us up. Let us know. Uh, again, the email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jack L on the name Commanders. Uh, Jack L in his email includes a link to a story from the Mariposa Gazette from March 9th, 1901. And the article is about the passing of a Captain William Foster, who was a slave ship captain and is referred to as a commander. Writes Jack L., the man in command of a ship bringing slaves to America often was referred to as commander. Is commanders a racist name? Just a thought as I would expect the media will do all it can to hammer that point. Thank you for your podcast. It is the best. Well, thank you for that, Jack. Uh, I'm not sure. Could commanders be considered racist? Hey, look, if commanders is racist, then wizards is racist too, because the grand wizard is a position in the KKK. Let's get that going so we can change the wizard's name back to bullets. But, you know, one of the reasons that the Washington name change has taken so long is that Washington has had to vet these names and see if there are any reasonable claims that these names are offensive. Because the last thing, the last thing that Washington needs with the new name is it right away to be entangled in controversy over potentially being offensive. And so with commanders, uh, will there be people who find offense with commanders in some way? Like, will someone somewhere be offended by commanders? Will that at all be a thing? Or will that be dismissed? We shall see. Uh, email from Kim in Pennsylvania writes, Kim, saw the first commercial for the Today Show's airing of our team's new name on the Today Show. I have to say it is exciting, as annoying as this whole process is, it is exciting to be a segment on the show. As a side note about the playoffs, name changes, etc., I don't think it's fair that the Kansas City Chiefs get to keep their name. It is a name that is in tribute to an Indian chief, but still... They have tomahawks in the stands and sing war chants, whatever. They don't have Dan Snyder, so there's that. Jimmy G did not do himself any favors in the NFC Championship game. Throwing that desperation pass only to get it picked off near the end zone was really ill-advised. Hope we get a rookie quarterback in the offseason with a big arm and someone who can move those baseball-slash-football types or winners, i.e. Kyler Murray and Patrick Mahomes. Those two have game and awareness like I've never seen before. Take care. The show is awesome. You always seem to pick a topic I find very interesting. Thank you for that, Kim. Much appreciated. Uh, I have a few things to say about the Chiefs and their arrowhead chop. Uh, You'll hear those things next segment. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. So a few things with Jimmy Garoppolo. First of all, Garoppolo on Tuesday did a 17-plus minute Zoom press conference to conclude his season and most likely his time with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Garoppolo essentially said goodbye to 49ers fans 
during the season-ending Zoom press conference. Quote, it's been a hell of a ride. I love you guys. See ya. End quote. Garoppolo talked openly about having spoken with the 49ers about being traded. So it looks like just about a certainty that Garoppolo will be dealt this offseason. The other thing, too, with Garoppolo is he was injured as this season went on. I've talked about Jimmy Garoppolo having not been durable, having a significant injury history. Well, Garoppolo has been dealing with another injury here in recent weeks. Jimmy Garoppolo was dealing with an injured right thumb. He played the final five games of his season, regular season and postseason, with a torn ligament in the right thumb. Uh, He may need surgery on that thumb. So, you know, all this talk about is Jimmy Garoppolo good or not? How about just this? The guy has been hurt a lot in his NFL career. But Washington has emerged as an odds-on favorite to land Jimmy Garoppolo. Sportsbetting.ag, as of a few days ago, had Washington and the Pittsburgh Steelers as the co-favorites at plus 400 each to be the team that gets Garoppolo. Um, Yeah, I'm not doing cartwheels over this, okay? Like, look, Jimmy Garoppolo, is he terrible? No. Is he decent? Yes. But I'm not in love with Washington giving up an asset or assets for Jimmy Garoppolo, okay? Uh, I want Washington getting someone who's great. Jimmy Garoppolo isn't great. And if there isn't someone this offseason who Washington can get who is great, okay. But don't just get someone to get someone. I sure as heck don't want Washington giving up that number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL draft for Garoppolo. I don't want Washington giving up its second round pick in the 2022 draft for Garoppolo. Um, I'm not sure if Washington could get Garoppolo for, say, a third round pick and some other thing or things. You know, it's tough to predict trade values in the NFL. Trade values in the NFL are all over the place. So I'm not just dismissing Jimmy Garoppolo as an option for Washington, but I am only going to go so far if I'm Washington to get myself Jimmy Garoppolo. There are some significant red flags with this guy. And I don't mean as a person. He seems like a good dude, but he's been hurt a lot. There's a reason the 49ers are willing to move on from him, and he's just not great. He throws a lot of interceptable passes. People bludgeon Taylor Heineke for all of his interceptable passes. Jimmy Garoppolo throws a bunch of interceptable passes. Well, we all have been dealing a bunch with, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic for two years now. If you own or run a Washington, D.C.-based business or a West Virginia-based business, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace can help you with your business insurance policy. A business insurance policy is meant to reimburse you for losses incurred in catastrophes like fires or burglaries, but business insurance also includes business interruption insurance. With the COVID-19 pandemic and resulting restrictions, there may be legal options available to you to recoup your losses. Contact Paulson and Nace to find out more. The attorneys at Paulson and Nace can help you review your business insurance policy and understand what options you have in running a business in these uncertain times. You don't deserve to be a victim of the pandemic. Also, Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and Nace offers fierce advocacy on behalf of medical malpractice, birth injury, and personal injury victims throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. If you have a case, contact Paulson 
and Nace. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. These guys are excellent at what they do. Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, here we are, a new name for the team that had been known as the Washington football team. This episode of the Al Galdi podcast is for Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. This is the episode 42.2.2288 that the team had been pounding into our brains ever since the team on January 4th announced that the new name would be announced on February 2nd. What I want to do this segment is examine why exactly the name changed from Redskins to begin with and where I'm at as a Washington fan with the name now changing to a new permanent name. It's funny, this really does feel like the end of Redskins, maybe even more so than the change in July 2020 from Redskins to Washington football team. That change happened so quickly and so seemingly came out of nowhere that it's almost like we never had the chance to fully process the change. Uh, this year and a half buildup to a new permanent name has in a lot of ways like eased the transition from Redskins to the new permanent name. But this announcement of the new permanent name, at least to me, does feel like a true goodbye to Redskins. Uh, the Redskins name saga has been going on for years. The name saga was very much an on-again, off-again thing for years. It got reignited big time in 2013, uh, very interestingly off the team in 2012, having had the team's best season in years. Uh, 2012 was the rookie season for both Robert Griffin III and Alfred Morris. Washington in the 2012 regular season went 10-6, and won the NFC East, To me, it's never been just a coincidence that the team had this really good 2012 season and then all of a sudden, uh, the name controversy was back. But the name issue was mostly done. May 2016, a Washington Post poll found that 90% of Native Americans were not offended by the Redskins name. The poll was of 504 people via phone across every state and the District of Columbia. And then in August 2019, a survey of Native Americans found proud as the word that best reflected their feelings about the Redskins' name. The survey offered respondents more than 40 emotions to choose from to express how the team made the respondents feel. The survey also found that 68% of those polled were not offended by the Redskins' name. Uh, The survey was conducted by the marketing research firm Wolverine with help from Gazelle Global Research Services and was conducted through a web-based survey of 500 people who self-identified as Native American. Now, look, neither of those polls was flawless. Uh, People who know polling will tell you that those polls were far from perfect, but those polls also weren't meaningless, and especially that Washington Post poll. That really stood out. I mean, here you have the Washington Post, which everyone knows is a politically liberal newspaper, conducting a poll, and it found that 90%, 90% of Native Americans weren't offended 
by the Redskins' name. Not 55%, not 60%, not 70%, not 80%, 90%. Nine out of 10. Uh, my stance on the name debate has always been this. It is the Native Americans whose opinions matter the most. And it is the Native Americans who should decide. You know, what non-Native Americans think about the name Redskins really doesn't matter. Like, we're all allowed to have our opinions, but it is the Native American opinion that, to me, has always mattered the most. There may be no more marginalized group of people in this country than Native Americans. I mean, they rarely get talked about. They rarely come up in politics. Uh, I mean, when do you ever see Native Americans on television in terms of like news anchors or news personalities? Like you almost never see that. You know, if you watch news shows, you see a lot of white people. Okay. Uh, You see a lot of black people. You see some Hispanic people. You see some Asian Americans. But when do you ever see Native Americans? And the reason that you see such little representation of Native Americans on television is that Native Americans represent a tiny portion of the population of the United States. According to 2020 data from the U.S. Census Bureau, the American Indian and Alaska Native alone population accounted for 1.1% of all people living in the United States. Now, 1.1% does work out to 3.7 million people. That's a lot of people in terms of the raw number, but that's a tiny number of people relative to the rest of the population. And so television executives and politicians are like, well, what do we need to cater to Native Americans for? You know, they're statistically irrelevant in terms of the overall population to say nothing of the lack of wealth within the Native American population in this country. That's one of the sad realities for Native Americans in this country. Uh, There's not a ton of disposable income, generally speaking, among the Native American population. And so Native Americans largely get ignored. And so with something like whether the team name Redskins was offensive, I always felt like, hey, instead of continuing to ignore these people, why don't we actually ask them what they think? Why should non-Native Americans be determining whether the name Redskins is offensive to Native Americans? Uh, Whether Redskins is offensive has always been complicated. Uh, Contrary to what some people say, this has been a tricky issue. This has been a gray area issue. Now, I mentioned the polling of May 2016 and August 2019 that strongly indicated that most Native Americans do not find Redskins to be offensive. Well, there also was this. February 2020, a study by UC Berkeley of, quote, more than a thousand self-identified adult Native Americans, end quote, found that 49% of participants strongly agreed or agreed that the Redskins name is offensive, while 38% were not bothered by the name. The remainder were undecided or indifferent. But 49% of Native Americans finding the name Redskins to be offensive is significant. So yeah, the polling is mixed. Uh, You also have the basic reality that the word Redskins is a dictionary-defined slur. Like, that is something, okay? That's not nothing. However, you also have this. The word redskin was created by, guess who? Native Americans. The best thing out there on the etymology of the word redskin was conducted by this guy, Ives or Eves Goddard. Uh, His first name is spelled I-V-E-S, a Smithsonian senior linguist. Uh, This was done in 2005. His piece is titled, I am a redskin adoption of a Native American expression, 1769 
1826. Included in that piece is the following, quote, the word redskin reflects a genuine Native American idiom that was used in several languages where it grew out of an earlier established and more widespread use of red and white as racial labels. This terminology was developed by Native Americans to label new categories of the new ethnic and political reality that they confronted with the coming of the Europeans, end quote. So yeah, the word redskin actually comes from Native Americans. Uh, That's not something that gets talked about a lot. So my point is this, whether the name redskins is offensive or not has never been crystal clear. The debate over the name Redskins was slash is a debate in which reasonable people could slash can disagree. Now, I was more pro the Redskins name than anti the Redskins name, but I never felt like those who were anti the Redskins name were coming from some like irrational place. You know, like I got the argument and I still do. It's not a clear cut issue. It never will be a clear cut issue. And so I always felt like, hey, it should be actual Native Americans who truly determined whether the name Redskins was offensive. But that didn't happen. George Floyd was murdered by a terrible cop, Derek Chauvin, in Minneapolis on May 25th, 2020. And that, of course, changed so much in this country. But among the many changes ended up being, yes, the name of the team that had been known as the Redskins. It's crazy when you think about it, but I really do think that if George Floyd had not been murdered, the name of the team may well still be Redskins. Follow me on this. It was on June 2nd, 2020, that we had something called hashtag Blackout Tuesday. Uh, This was a social media campaign for social justice off the death of George Floyd. Uh, The hashtag Blackout Tuesday campaign included people and outlets tweeting out all black squares. Well, among the entities that tweeted out an all black square was the NFL team then known as the Redskins. Do you happen to remember who quote tweeted that Redskins tweet? Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, a.k.a. AOC, uh, wrote AOC, quote, want to really stand for racial justice? Change your name, end quote. Uh, That tweet became a very big deal. Uh, That tweet, as of very early on Wednesday morning, February 2nd, 2022, as of very early on Wednesday morning, 2.2.22, has been retweeted about 100,000 times and has been liked about 661,000 times. And that right there reignited the Redskins name debate. Look, say what you want about AOC, but she has a massive following. On social media, AOC as we speak has 12.8 million followers on Twitter. That is a gigantic Twitter following. When she ripped the Redskins over their name, that was a really big deal. That got a lot of attention, you know, whether she had truly studied the issue or not. And maybe she had, although I wouldn't just assume that she had, but maybe she had, who knows. And so it really was on June 2nd, 2020, that the Redskins name debate became a thing again. And then came, without question, the most significant turning point in the Redskins name saga. 
July 2nd, 2020, one month to the day of the AOC quote tweet, FedEx issued the following statement, quote, we have communicated to the team in Washington our request that they change the team name, end quote. And things were never, ever the same again for the team known at the time as the Redskins. That FedEx statement was enormous. It was enormous because FedEx obviously had and still has the naming rights to FedEx Field. That's a deal that started in November 1999. The deal, by the way, is a 27-year, $205 million deal. FedEx pays the team $7.59 million per year for the naming rights to FedEx Field. And that FedEx statement was enormous also because, right, one of the Redskins' minority owners at the time was Fred Smith, who was and is the chairman, president, and chief executive officer of FedEx. Fred Smith founded FedEx in 1971. Fred Smith, via that FedEx statement on July 2nd, 2020, turned heel on Dan Snyder. That remains one of the biggest heel turns. Heck, maybe the biggest heel turn in Washington, D.C. sports history. The Fred Smith heel turn on Dan Snyder on July 2nd, 2020. I mean, think about this. As we're in the midst of all of this conversation in the country about race and social justice and sensitivity, Fred Smith shines a spotlight right on Dan Snyder and essentially tells the world, hey, Danny Boy, that team for which you're the majority owner, its name is racist. And in the summer of 2020, the worst thing that you could be called as a public figure was a racist. I mean, that's always a bad thing, okay? No one ever aspires to be known as a racist, but that was especially bad in the summer of 2020. And so Dan Snyder, the same Dan Snyder who had vehemently defended the name Redskins for years, the same Dan Snyder who in May 2013 famously told USA Today Sports, quote, we'll never change the name. It's that simple. Never. You can use caps and quote, that Dan Snyder, his football team on July 3rd, 2020, one day, one day after that statement from FedEx issued a statement that led with the following, quote, in light of recent events around our country and feedback from our community, the Washington Redskins are announcing the team will undergo a thorough review of the team's name, end quote. The Redskins on July 13th, 2020 announced that they would be retiring the Redskins name and logo. The Redskins on July 23rd, 2020 announced that they would call themselves the Washington football team pending adoption of a new name. Dan Snyder tucked his tail between his legs and completely retreated on the name issue. Fred Smith forced Dan Snyder to tap out on the name issue. And look, I don't say these things necessarily as criticisms of Dan. I'm not sure that Dan had much of a choice. Fred Smith put Dan Snyder in a terribly difficult position to say nothing of certain sponsors putting Dan Snyder in a terribly difficult position. More on those sponsors in a bit. But it's crazy when you think about it. If not for the murder of George Floyd, we don't get that Redskins Blackout Tuesday tweet. If not for that Redskins Blackout Tuesday tweet, we don't get that AOC tweet. And if not for that AOC tweet, 
I'm not sure that we would have gotten that statement from FedEx. Now, maybe we would have gotten that statement from FedEx, but I don't believe for a second that Fred Smith all of a sudden found religion on the Redskins name. You know, that Fred Smith all of a sudden decided, yeah, you know what, that name Redskins, that is an offensive name. Fred Smith took advantage of a political and social climate ripe for calling for the Redskins to change their name. Fred Smith's FedEx putting out that statement in, say, April 2020 would not have gotten nearly the same reaction that Fred Smith's FedEx putting out that statement in July 2020 received. Everything was changing in this country. Fred Smith and two other Washington minority owners at the time, Dwight Shore and Robert Rothman, had had a falling out with Dan Snyder. That FedEx statement was the first public sign of that falling out. That FedEx statement was the first public sign of the ownership turmoil for Washington. And thus we had, in the all-time month of July 2020, not one, not two, but three major Redskins controversies emerge. The name change, the ownership turmoil, and don't forget the workplace misconduct scandal, because it was later in July 2020 that that first Washington Post expose on the Redskins sexual harassment scandal came out. July 2020 was an unbelievable month in the history of Washington football. You know, something that still has not been fully fleshed out is why there was this falling out between Dan Snyder and his three now former minority partners, Fred Smith, Dwight Shore, and Robert Rothman. We know that there was a falling out. We never, though, have heard exactly why there was a falling out. But if, in fact, the falling out was Dan's fault or was mostly Dan's fault, and given what we know about him, it's not unreasonable to at least wonder if the falling out was Dan's fault or at least was mostly Dan's fault, uh, then there's incredible irony to the Redskins' name change. And the irony is this. Dan Snyder, who fought so vigorously for years to keep the name Redskins, ended up being the cause of the name changing because he was at the root of an ownership feud that resulted in one of the minority owners publicly calling for the team to change its name. Now again, this is if Dan was at least mostly at fault for the ownership turmoil, and we don't know that with certainty, in fairness to Dan. You know, we just can't be certain about that. But I do think about that, that Dan Snyder himself ultimately may be to blame for the team no longer being the Redskins. Let that sink in, you know? If you're angry at Dan Snyder for all of these things that have happened during his time as Washington owner, you can perhaps add the name changing to that list of things in terms of things that Vadani has done that have ticked off so many Washington fans. But let's also say this. Uh, there has been a lot of hypocrisy with the Redskins' name change. There is hypocrisy with Fred Smith, who for years benefited from being a minority owner of a team called the Redskins, and then all of a sudden decided that the name was offensive. Gee, wasn't that convenient, given what was going on in the country, given that Fred and the two other minority owners, Dwight Shaw and Robert Rothman, had had a falling out with Dan Snyder? There's hypocrisy with Nike and Amazon. You know, another major development regarding the Redskins name controversy on July 2nd, 2020 was Nike on its website, no longer selling Redskins gear. Uh, searches for Redskins came up with no results. And Nike on July 3rd, 2020, 
issued the following statement off the Redskins issuing the statement announcing a review of the team name. Quote, we have been talking to the NFL and sharing our concerns regarding the name of the Washington team. We are pleased to see the team taking a first step towards change. End quote. Nike acting all virtuous. Oh, what a wonderful company Nike is. The same Nike company that since the 1970s has been accused of using sweatshops to produce footwear and apparel. And, you know, it's not like the sweatshops thing is some dated thing. The Washington Post, in a piece published on February 29th, 2020, reported of a Nike supplier in China relying on forced labor from Uyghurs, who are an ethnic minority in China. So here you have Nike benefiting from sweatshops producing footwear and apparel overseas. That same Nike is calling out the Redskins for having an offensive team name. And again, if you think the name Redskins is offensive, fine. But don't, on the one hand, tell me that the name Redskins is offensive and, on the other hand, be benefiting from forced labor from Uyghurs in China to make your Nike apparel. Uh, Amazon. How about Amazon? Amazon, on July 8, 2020, said that it was removing Redskins merchandise for sale. Said a spokesperson to CNBC, quote, with the announcement from the Washington team and the NFL, we are removing products with the team's name and logo from our stores. Failure to properly close or delete all restricted product listings from your inventory may result in deactivation. End quote. Quite the warning from Amazon on July 8th, 2020. Uh, CNBC reported that sellers on Amazon were given 48 hours to remove Redskins merchandise. Okay, fine. Uh, Amazon has every right to do that. But Amazon, acting all virtuous with the Redskins name, uh, to this day, to this day, you can look it up right now, still is selling Chief Wahoo gear for the Cleveland Indians, who aren't even the Cleveland Indians anymore. They're now the Cleveland Guardians. Explain that to me. Justify that to me. Chief Wahoo is much more offensive than the Redskins logo was, or even potentially than the name was. And yet you still can buy Chief Wahoo gear, Chief Wahoo merch on Amazon, which in July 2020 lectured everyone about how bad the name Redskins was. There is hypocrisy with this stuff, and the hypocrisy still bothers me. Look, there's hypocrisy with those who rip the Redskins for their name but remain silent on the Arrowhead shop, right? What is the Tomahawk shop? I mean, you can dress it up as the Arrowhead shop. That is the Tomahawk shop that Kansas City Chiefs fans do at home games. We saw and heard the Arrowhead shop a whole lot this NFL postseason. The chop was broadcast on national television a bunch. Did you hear cries about the chop being offensive? Did you read a bunch of stuff about how the chop needs to be done away with? Because I sure didn't. I'm not saying that there is an anti-Arrowhead chop sentiment out there. I know that there is, but there doesn't seem to be a ton. You know, the outrage over the Arrowhead chop to me has always seemed to be like a tenth of what the outrage was over the Redskins name. There's hypocrisy all over the place with this Redskins name issue. And again, I'm not here to tell you that the name was or wasn't offensive. Again, it's a very complicated issue. It's a very tricky issue. It's a very debatable issue. Again, I defer to the people who matter most in all of this, you know, actual Native Americans. But as the new permanent name of the team, formerly known as the Redskins, now is upon us, I did want to explore why exactly the name changed in the first place, and how to this day, there still are things with this whole name saga that don't add up. Uh, honestly, if I'm angry about anything with the name change, the anger actually isn't over the name changing. As much as the anger is over the lack of conversation regarding what actual Native Americans think about the name, 
and is over the hypocrisy from some. Not all, but some. As for how the name change makes you feel as a fan, how does the name change make you feel as a fan? Where are you as a fan of the team with the name now going to a new permanent name? Well, we're all different. And personally, I don't vilify anyone for how he or she feels about the name change. You know, some fans are livid that the name changed. Some fans want nothing to do with Commanders or any other new name and vow never to root for the team again. Uh, Some fans aren't thrilled that the name changed, but still will root for the team and eventually may come around on the new name. Some fans wanted the name to change. Totally get why some found the name Redskins offensive and feel like it was time, if not long past due, for the name to change. Uh, Some fans don't care at all. You know, they checked out on the team a while ago because of all of the losing and or Dan Snyder. Whatever your position is on the name change, however you feel about the name change, uh, more power to you, okay? There is no right or wrong way to feel about the name change, just like there's no right or wrong way to feel about the name. So much of this stuff is subjective and dependent on where you are in life. Personally, I've always looked at the name change like this. No, I'm not thrilled that the name Redskins has gone away, and I do remain annoyed at a few things with this whole name change saga, as I just discussed, but at the end of the day, we are talking about a name, all right? And when it comes to my fandom of the NFL franchise that used to be known as the Redskins and then became known as the Washington football team, my fandom has always been about so much more than just the name. You know, the team retiring the name Redskins in July 2020 forced me to think about why, truly, I was a fan of the team. Because like all of you, I was confronted with the name Redskins going away. I mean, that came out of nowhere. You know, it was like, what now? How do I feel? And the conclusion that I came to pretty quickly was that my fandom was not about the name. Being a fan to me isn't truly about a name of a team isn't truly about the owner of the team, isn't truly about the team president, isn't truly about the general manager of the team, isn't truly about the head coach of the team, isn't truly about the players on the team, isn't truly about the colors of the team. All of those things matter, but those things come and go, you know, to varying degrees. Being a fan to me, at its core, is about memories, excitement, and hope. Being a fan to me is about things that you experienced and things that you are wanting to experience with your team. And none of that can ever be taken away from you. Again, we're all different. But for me, I would never let Dan Snyder being the owner of the team make me not a fan of the team. I would never let Bruce Allen being the president of the team make me not be a fan of the team. I would never let the team not being good make me not be a fan of the team. I would never let the team stadium make me not be a fan of the team. I would never even let the name of the team changing make me not be a fan of the team because my fandom of the team is bigger than those things. And even if I wanted to not be a fan of the team, I couldn't not be a fan of the team. I've experienced too much as a fan of this team. I care too much about this team. Whether I want to or not, I do, and I know that I do, and you can't help how you feel. I could never, ever transition to being, say, a Baltimore Ravens fan. No way. 
because I could never make myself truly care for the Ravens like I do for Washington. You know, the team has me and I'm never going anywhere. And maybe that makes me a sucker. All right. But that's where I'm at. And that's where I'm coming from. Dan Snyder isn't the team. Bruce Allen wasn't the team. The stadium isn't the team. The name isn't the team. My memories with the team, my experiences with the team, my excitement for the team, my hope for the team. Those things are the team to me. So, so long and farewell to the name Redskins. Hail to the Redskins. Then, now, and forever. Whatever the name of the team may be. Up next. So it turns out that Tom Brady is retiring. Uh, What does that mean for Washington? More than you may think. I'll get to that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, what was reported on Saturday and then refuted to at least some extent now is official. The greatest quarterback of all time. Heck, to me, the greatest football player of all time and maybe the greatest athlete of all time has retired. Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady on Tuesday morning officially announced his retirement. Tom Brady and Michael Jordan are the two best athletes of my lifetime. I mean, take your pick. Uh, Those two guys are the two biggest goats of my lifetime, the two goatiest goats of my lifetime. I actually think an interesting question is whose career would you rather have had, Brady's or Jordan's? I mean, Jordan was more of a cultural icon and has more of a mystique to him. But Brady blows away Jordan in terms of longevity and in terms of achieving team success both super early and super late in his career. Jordan's career, remember, featured it taking a while for MJ to win his first NBA championship. And then MJ's career, of course, ended with the Wizards. So he played for them for two seasons after his second comeback 
from retirement. Uh, the Wizards did not make the NBA playoffs in either of Michael Jordan's two seasons as a player for the Wizards, though Jordan still was pretty good with the Wizards. Brady, of course, won a Super Bowl in his second NFL season and in his penultimate NFL season, and he won that final Super Bowl right with his second professional team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady's second act with an NFL team went uh, better than Michael Jordan's second act with an NBA team. The greatness of Tom Brady can never be overstated. Tom Brady played in the NFL for an incomprehensible 22 seasons, 2000 through 2021. Brady won seven Super Bowls, which is more than any actual NFL franchise has won. Think about that. Tom Brady himself has won more Super Bowls than any NFL franchise has won. Uh, Brady won five Super Bowl MVP awards. He won 10 conference championships. He won three Associated Press NFL MVP awards. Tom Brady is the NFL's all-time leader in regular season touchdown passes, passing yards, and completions. And Tom Brady went out on a high note. Brady in his final regular season, the 2021 regular season, what was his age 44 season, led the NFL in touchdown passes at 43, passing yards at 5,316, and completions at 485. I'm actually surprised that Brady is retiring. The talk was that he would try to play until he was 50. I know that that may have been an exaggeration, but he was still great. He could have kept going. And honestly, I would not be stunned if Brady came back to play at some point. Hey, Washington needs a franchise quarterback. Maybe Washington should call Tom Brady. Wouldn't that be something? Michael Jordan ended his playing career with the Wizards. Tom Brady can end his playing career with the Commanders. Uh, why not? Uh, when it comes to Tom Brady versus Washington. So Brady in his NFL career went 5-2 and two in games against Washington, regular season and postseason. Tom Brady's two losses against Washington. Well, you know, one, it happened this season, November 14th, 2021, the Washington football team beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 29-19 at FedEx Field in the first game of Washington's four-game winning streak as Taylor Heineke, a.k.a. Tay-Tay, outplayed Brady. But are you familiar with the other Washington win over Tom Brady? I still get a kick out of this win. September 28th, 2003, the Washington Redskins beat the New England Patriots 2017 at FedEx Field as a Skins team that was head coached by Steve Spurrier and quarterbacked by Patrick Ramsey beat a Pats team that was head coached by Bill Belichick and quarterbacked by Tom Brady. That is one of my all-time favorite Washington football facts. A Skins team head coached by Steve Spurrier <laughs> and quarterbacked by Patrick Ramsey beat a Patriots team head coached by the greatest head coach in NFL history in Bill Belichick and quarterbacked by the greatest quarterback in NFL history, Tom Brady. Nobody can ever take that away from us as Washington fans. Uh, Brady in that game threw three interceptions. The interceptions were two, Champ Bailey, Ifiani Ojolete, and Rashad Bauman. Uh, the game ended up being the Pats' last loss in the 2003 season as the Pats won 15 consecutive games the rest of the season, regular season and postseason, and then won six consecutive games to begin the 2004 regular season. The Skins, uh, they finished the 2003 regular season just 5-11 and 11 
in what ended up being Spurrier's second and final season as Skins head coach. And yes, the Skins in Spurrier's final season as Skins head coach went 5-11, and 11, prompting this at Steve Spurrier's final press conference as Skins head coach. Okay, we wound up 5-11. and 11. Not very good. Yes, ball coach, exactly. Maybe, maybe the single greatest soundbite in Washington, D.C. sports history. Now, among the wins for Tom Brady against Washington was an all-time beatdown, a 52-7 Redskins loss at the New England Patriots on October 28th, 2007. <laughs> the score was 52 nothing in the fourth quarter. Brady in that game, 29-38 for 306 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took just one sack. He had two rushing touchdowns. Uh, that 2007 Skins team, though, did end up making the playoffs. Uh, that team went from 5-7 and seven to 9-7 and seven to get an NFC wildcard spot in what ended up being Joe Gibbs' final season as Skins head coach. Uh, that was the season during which Sean Taylor was murdered. Uh, that also was the season in which the Pats went 18-0, and 0, but then lost to the New York Giants in the Super Bowl. But as far as the here and now goes, two things with Tom Brady retiring. The first thing is obvious, but needs to be said. Uh, the Bucks now need a quarterback. So you can add the Bucks to the list of teams that are in competition with Washington in the quarterback market this offseason. That's not good, right? The fewer the teams in the quarterback market, the better for Washington. And the Bucks, if we're being honest, are an attractive destination, uh, more attractive than Washington. But another thing of Tom Brady retiring is this. Look now at the quarterback landscape in the NFC versus the quarterback landscape in the AFC. The NFC now has a lack of stud quarterbacks, while the AFC is loaded with stud quarterbacks. Think about it. Who are the stud quarterbacks in the NFC? I mean, at most, you have five. Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, and Kyler Murray. All right. I mean, those are five good quarterbacks. But how about the stud quarterbacks in the AFC? Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr, Deshaun Watson, obviously depending on what happens with his legal situation. But the AFC is deeper in terms of stud quarterbacks than the NFC is, both in terms of quantity and quality. And this is just something to think about as a Washington fan. If Washington, say, traded for Deshaun Watson this offseason, Washington right away would be among the top teams in the NFC in terms of the quarterback position. There's an opportunity right now in the NFC with so many of the great quarterbacks being in the AFC, especially so many of the great young quarterbacks. Again, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Herbert, Jackson, Watson. And if for whatever reason Aaron Rodgers retires, which I don't think he will, but if he does, then that only makes the difference between the two conferences in terms of stud quarterbacks even more drastic. Just something to be thinking about with this Washington pursuit of a franchise quarterback.
Let's talk Capitals. The Caps on Tuesday night had a big game, and the Caps on Tuesday night got a big win. The Caps improved to 25-12-9 with a 4-3 overtime win at the Pittsburgh Penguins on Tuesday night. So the Caps now are at 59 points on the season, three points behind the Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division, and five points behind the Carolina Hurricanes and New York Rangers, who were tied for first in the Metro at 64 points. The Caps had been struggling lately, but they, in their previous game, went at the Dallas Stars 5-0 on Friday night. So two consecutive wins now for the Caps. And the Caps this season now are 8-2-1 against Metropolitan Division opponents. Uh, That's really good. I mean, the Metro is stacked this season, and yet the Caps this season are 8-2-1 against Metropolitan Division opponents. A big night for defenseman Dmitry Orlov. He scored the game-winning even-strength goal 4-17 into overtime on a beautiful snapshot from the high slot while being guarded by Sidney Crosby. Uh, Orlov also scored a power play goal 16-13 into the first period, so a two-goal night for Dmitry Orlov, and he had a game-high four block shots. The Caps got back a key defenseman on Tuesday night. Defenseman Nick Jensen returned from a four-game absence caused by an upper body injury that he suffered in the Caps' 4-3 loss at the Boston Bruins on January 20th. Uh, Caps did remain without multiple key players. Defenseman Michael Kepney did not play for a second consecutive game due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Ford TJ Oshie did not play for an eighth consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in a 2-0 win at the New York Islanders on January 15th. And Ford Anthony Mantha remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. And speaking of injury, uh, a cap season that has featured so much in the way of injury now has another injury. Vitek Vanacek was the cap starting goaltender on Tuesday night. He was a cap starting goaltender for a sixth time in seven games, but he stopped just one of the two shots on goal that he faced, and he suffered an upper body injury in the first period and came out of the game. Now, Ilya Samsonov then came into the game and was terrific. Uh, Samsonov stopped 43 of the 45 shots on goal that he faced. So major props to Samsonov. Uh, He was really good, especially given the circumstances. Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped 13 of the 15 high danger shots on goal that he faced. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night on Samsonov. He played really well. I mean, he had a lot of work. Pittsburgh's got a lot of, they got a lot of offense, and they really came at us in waves at times. Um, things that we can do better next time we play them, but that that doesn't, you know, that's not going to factor into tonight's game. And so our goaltender needed to make some big saves, and for him to come off the bench and play that way was really good for our, our group. He played a solid game, gave us a chance. Yes, he did, but the Caps have a game on Wednesday night. Uh, The Caps will host the Edmonton Oilers Wednesday night at 7. If Vitek Vanacek can't play due to this upper body injury that he suffered on Tuesday night, the Caps could be in a tight-spotted goaltender on Wednesday night against the Oilers. I mean, the Caps rarely play goaltenders on back-to-back nights, and while, yes, you could make an exception this time with Ilya Samsonov, he did face a heavy workload on Tuesday night. Samsonov had to make 43 saves in this overtime win at the Penguins. Uh, the Caps got walloped in the puck possession battle on Tuesday night. Caps per natural stat trick had just 35 five-on-five shot attempts to the Penguins' 58, including over the first two periods having just 16 five-on-five shot attempts 
to the Penguins' 40. Uh, also, the Caps totaled just 32 shots on goal to the Penguins' 47, including over the first two periods having just 17 shots on goal to the Penguins' 35. And the Caps had a bizarro game on the penalty kill. The Caps went a horrendous 2 of 5 on the penalty kill. That's atrocious. Just 2 of 5 on the penalty kill. The Caps on Tuesday night gave up three power play goals to the Penguins, but the Caps also got a shorthanded goal. Uh, the Caps got a shorty from Nick Dowd, 550 into the first period. That was great. So on the one hand, you gave up three power play goals. On the other hand, you authored a shorthanded goal, and the Caps have put together quite a few shorthanded goals now this season. Caps now this season have six shorthanded goals. That's tied for third in the NHL in terms of team shorthanded goals this season. So this was a wacky game for the Caps, and in a lot of ways, they're lucky to have won this game uh, at the Penguins. You consider the extent to which the Caps lost the puck possession battle. You consider the extent to which the Caps struggled on the penalty kill. You consider that the Caps starting goaltender left the game in the first period due to injury. Uh, If you're a Caps fan like me, you take this win on Tuesday night and you run with it. Uh, The Caps getting this overtime victory at the Penguins. Uh, As for the Caps' two All-Stars, Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov. Uh, Ovi had no points on Tuesday night, but he did have five shots on goal, and Ovechkin, per natural stat trick, did finish number one on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 51.85. Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 14 shot attempts versus allowing 13 shot attempts. Kuznetsov had the primary assist on Dmitry Orlov's overtime goal. Evgeny Kuznetsov now has a team-high 11-game-winning assists this season, and Kuznetsov also had a team-high 7 shots on goal and a team-high 10 shot attempts. But like I said, quick turnaround here for the Caps as they will host the Oilers Wednesday night at 7. Well, the Wizards on Tuesday night were better, uh, but they still lost again. And thus, the slide of the Wizards continues. The Wizards fell to 23-27 and with a 112-98 loss at the Milwaukee Bucks on Tuesday night. So the Wizards now have lost a season-worst six consecutive games. The Wizards now are just 13-24 and since their 10-3 and start to the season. Uh, the Wizards are a mess right now. We've been talking about that. And what makes things even more complicated now is this. Bradley Beal is out through the NBA trade deadline. Uh, Beal did not play on Tuesday night due to an injured left wrist. The Wizards on Tuesday evening announced that Beal will miss at least the next four games, meaning that he will be out through the NBA trade deadline, which is on February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Now, I don't have much belief that the Wizards are looking to trade Bradley Beal. Uh, I think that the Wizards should at least be open to trading Beal, if not actively shopping Beal. I'm not sure that the Wizards have any interest in trading Bradley Beal, but it is interesting, right? The trade deadline is coming up, and all of a sudden, Bradley Beal is out through the trade deadline with this left wrist injury. Uh, If you're a conspiracy theorist, you don't have to work very hard to come up 
with a conspiracy here, but no Bradley Beal for the Wizards for now. Also, Thomas Bryant got hurt on Tuesday night. He left the game in the third quarter due to having suffered a sprained right ankle. That brought Daniel Gafford into the game of him having not played at all in the first half and of Gafford having been a DNPCD in the Wizards' previous game, that 115-95 loss at the Memphis Grizzlies on Saturday night. Gafford on Tuesday night played for just 5 minutes 59 seconds off the bench. He did not play at all in the fourth quarter. Gafford is being buried right now by Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. The fall of Daniel Gafford really is something. Now, the Wizards did rally on Tuesday night. They did overcome a 17-point third quarter deficit. The Wizards in the third quarter trailed by 17 points at 57-40, but then went on a 46-26 run for an 86-83 lead in the fourth quarter. So the Wizards made a charge on Tuesday night, but the Wizards then allowed the Bucs to end the game on a 29-12 run. So yeah, credit the Wizards for fighting on Tuesday night. Credit the Wizards for storming back on Tuesday night, but the Wizards, you know, they ultimately lost again. You know, this was another loss. It was another loss by double-digit points. You know, the Wizards lost this game by 14 points. Uh, the Wizards did hold the Bucks to just 12-38 on threes. That was good, but the Wizards also allowed the Bucks to go 28-43 of 43 in the paint and got outscored in the paint 56-38. That was not good. And the Wizards got torched by the Greek freak. Now look, the Greek freak torches a lot of teams. That's true. But man, uh, the Wizards had no answer on Tuesday night for Giannis Adetokounmpo. He had a triple-double. Uh, he did go 0-3 on threes, but he went 14 of 18 on twos, finished with 33 points, 15 rebounds, 11 assists versus two turnovers, and two blocks. And he did all of this in just 37 minutes, 58 seconds of playing time as a starter. Again, he's the Greek freak. He's one of the best players in the NBA. We all get that. But did he have to do you like he did you on Tuesday night, okay? Did he have to go for 33-15-11-2 against you on Tuesday night as the freak ended up doing? Uh, the Wizards struggled again on threes, went just 12-35 on threes. Two bright spots for the Wizards were Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell. Uh, remember him? Yeah. Uh, so Kuzma's been very good. We know that. Kuzma on Tuesday night, 3 of 8 on 3, 6 of 11 on 2s. He finished with 25 points, 11 rebounds, and 3 blocks in 35-02 as a starter. Montrez Harrell, remember how great he was during the Wizards' 10-3 and start to the season? Man, has he cooled off since then. But Harrell was good on Tuesday night, 26-23 off the bench, 0 one on 3s, 9 of 14 on 2s. He finished with 20 points and five rebounds. But struggling again for the Wizards was Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, this is painful right now, what's going on with old Spence. Uh, Spence on Tuesday night, just 2-7 on threes, 0-2 on twos. He scored just seven points in 31-29 as a starter. Spencer Dinwiddie now routinely scores 10 points or less in games. Now, he did have nine assists versus three turnovers. He did have seven rebounds, but it's just a real struggle right now for Spencer Dinwiddie, and there very much seem to be internal problems with Spencer Dinwiddie. NBA writer Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer wrote the following in a piece that came out on Monday morning, quote, the Wizards want to move Dinwiddie because he looks like a shell of his former self and his teammates don't want him there. 
end quote. Remember, Dinwiddie made those cryptic comments after that loss at the Grizzlies on Saturday night. We then got that nugget from Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer on Monday morning. Dinwiddie continued to struggle on Tuesday night. Um, I don't know that Dinwiddie's going to be on this team past that NBA trade deadline uh, February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern, although I'm not sure who's going to want to take on Spencer Dinwiddie given the way that his season is going. Uh, Also, Davies Bertans on Tuesday night, a DNPCD for a third consecutive game. We now are so in Jan Mahinmi territory with Davies Bertans. He got re-signed by the Wiz November 2020, a five-year, $80 million contract. He now doesn't play. Davies Bertans, a DNPCD on Tuesday night for a third consecutive game. Uh, Next up for the Wizards, a game on Wednesday night. Uh, The Wiz will be at the Philadelphia 76ers Wednesday night at 7. Well, busy night Tuesday night in college basketball. Maryland, Georgetown, and Virginia all were in action. Uh, Both the Terrapins and Hoyas rallied but lost. Uh, The Cavaliers, though, won. We begin with Maryland which fell to 11 and 11 overall and 3 and 8 in the Big 10 a 65-63 loss to number 13 Michigan State at Xfinity Center in College Park on Tuesday night now the Terps overcame a 15 point second half deficit you know it's funny we just talked about the Wizards rallying in the second half of their loss at the Milwaukee Bucks on Tuesday night the Terps rallied in the second half of their loss to Michigan State on Tuesday night. Terps overcame a 15-point second-half deficit. Terps in the second half trailed by 15 at 42-27, then went on a 34-19 run to tie the game at 61. That was great, but the Terps lost. Uh, They lost on a Malik Hall tie-breaking driving bucket for a 65-63 Michigan State lead with 1.9 seconds left in the second half. Hall scored 16 points off the bench for the Spartans. Uh, Late game execution was a thing for Maryland, but overall offensive ineptitude continued to be a thing for Maryland. You know, the Terps held Michigan State to just 7-19 on threes and just 15-35 on twos. Defense was not Maryland's problem on Tuesday night. Offense was. Uh, The Terps went just 4-17 of on threes. I mean, the Terps are just an atrocious three-point shooting team, and that continues to doom Maryland. Now, the Terps on Tuesday night did go 17-32 on twos, actually outscored Michigan State in the paint 32-24, but when you are routinely so bad on threes, it's hard to win in today's college basketball, and Maryland routinely is really bad on threes. The Terps now this season are shooting just 31.6% on threes. Uh, Eric Ayala on Tuesday night, just one of seven on threes. He went three of eight on twos, six of seven on free throws, finished with 15 points, four rebounds, and two assists versus two turnovers in 39 minutes as a starter. But one of seven on threes really hurts you. Dante Scott on Tuesday night, 0 of four on threes. Now, he went five of nine on twos, four of four on free throws, finished with 14 points and two assists versus one turnover, though we also had just two rebounds in 29 minutes as a starter. But when two key guys like that, Ayala and Scott, combined to go one of 11 on threes, that's a problem. Uh, the Rhode Island transfer, point guard Fats Russell, he did go two of four on threes. That was good, but he went just two of five on twos, had one assist versus four turnovers. Fats finished with 10 points, four boards, 
in 34 minutes as a starter. Uh, things continue to be underwhelming with the Georgetown transfer. The 6'11 big man, Kudis Wahab, 18 minutes for him as a starter on Tuesday night. That's it. I mean, Kudis Wahab really doesn't play that much. Um, now, you know, he wasn't terrible on Tuesday night. Three of five from the field, all twos. Finished with nine points, eight rebounds. Did have one assist versus two turnovers. But nine and eight in 18 minutes of playing time is actually good. But Wahab just does not play much in these games. The 6'9 freshman, Julian Reese, he played for 17 minutes off the bench on Tuesday night. Two or three from the field, all twos. He had six points and seven rebounds. You know, not bad, uh, though he also had no assists versus two turnovers. But the Terps are just not a very good team, you know? And the Terps do battle for the most part. Um, there's, there's not been much give up from Maryland so far this season, but the Terps just aren't that good. And it's frustrating because this game on Tuesday night against a good Michigan State team was a winnable game. You know, that would have been a nice win to beat the Tom Izzo-coached Michigan State Spartans at Xfinity Center in College Park on Tuesday night. And Maryland battled, but Maryland ultimately came up short. And bottom line now, 11-11 and is the overall record on the season. Maryland is a 500 team on the season and is just 3-8 and in the Big Ten. Uh, next up for Maryland, another tough task at number 16 Ohio State this Sunday afternoon at one. Uh, Georgetown now, 6-13 and 13 overall, 0-8 in the Big East. A 70-63 loss to Seton Hall at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. The Hoyas now have lost nine consecutive games. Now, the Hoyas, like the Terps, like the Wizards, did rally in a second half on Tuesday night. Georgetown overcame an 11-point second-half deficit. Uh, the Hoyas in the second half trailed by 11 points at 39-28, then went on a 21-5 run for a five-point lead at 49-44. Very good to see that. But the Hoyas lost the rest of the game 26-14. Uh, Georgetown's defense on Tuesday night was mixed. On the one hand, the Hoyas allowed Seton Hall to go 12-30 on threes and had a hard time defending without fouling. Seton Hall went 14-19 on free throws. The Hoyas went four or five on free throws. On the other hand, the Hoyas did hold Seton Hall to just 10 to 26 on twos and got Seton Hall to commit 16 turnovers. Uh, but the Hoyas went just seven to 25 on threes. Uh, Georgetown, like Maryland, just not a ton of firepower this season. Donald Carey went two or four on threes, four or five on twos. He finished with 15 points, three rebounds, and two steals in 28 minutes as a starter. He did have one assist versus three turnovers. Uh, the freshman, Amita Muhammad, one and two on threes, but just four and 12 on twos. He did finish with 14 points, eight rebounds, including three offensive boards and two steals in 37 minutes as a starter. Georgetown's point guard, Dante Harris, 0 of four on threes, just six of 13 on twos. He did finish with 12 points, six rebounds and five assists versus one turnover in 37 minutes as a starter. Caden uh, Rice had another rough game. Caden Rice is a three-point specialist. He's a graduate transfer from the Citadel. He went just four of 11 on threes in 26 minutes off the bench. Uh, next up for the Hoyas, home to St. John's Thursday evening at six in a game that'll take place at McDonough Arena as opposed to Capital One Arena. But I mean, where are we going with this Hoyas season? 0-8 in the Big East. I don't know how anyone can be bullish on Patrick Ewing staying on as head coach beyond this season right now. Maybe things change. Maybe things get better. But Georgetown just isn't very good. Georgetown doesn't win games. And 
there's just not a lot to grab onto right now in terms of reason for optimism with the Hoyas. We'll see. I mean, you know, you got this month of February here to try to uh, get things going in at least somewhat of a positive direction, but uh, things just not looking very good for Georgetown right now. Virginia did win on Tuesday evening. Uh, the Cavaliers improved to 13-9 and overall and 7-5 and in the ACC, a 67-55 win over Boston College at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Tuesday evening. This was a physical game. This was a rugged game. This was a game in which the Cavs' defense was quite good. Uh, You know, Virginia's defense this season has not been great. Uh, This has not been your typical Virginia defense under head coach Tony Bennett, but the defense on Tuesday evening was good. Now, look, Boston College isn't a great team, but the Cavaliers' defense hasn't been great this season, but the defense was great on Tuesday evening. Cavs held Boston College to just 55 points. Cavs held Boston College to just 5 of 21 on threes. The Cavs got Boston College to commit 14 turnovers. The Cavs totaled nine steals. Uh, Wahoos won, despite going 3 of 7 on threes, just seven three-point attempts for Virginia the entire game. And Virginia went just 16-36 on twos. Uh, Dynamic UVA is not on offense, uh, but what the Hoos did do on Tuesday night is get to the free throw line a ton and make their free throws. The Hoos went 26-29 on free throws. Boston College went 12-12 on free throws. So the Hoos were plus 17 on Tuesday evening in free throw attempts and plus 14 on Tuesday evening in free throw points. Uh, Another good game for the East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner, 5-13 from the field, all twos, 7-7 on free throws. He finished with 17 points, 5 rebounds and 3 assists versus no turnovers in 34-50 as a starter. Uh, 5'10 senior point guard Kihei Clark, 1-2 on threes, 3-5 three on twos, 10-10 on free throws. He had 19 points and 6 rebounds in 34-36 as a starter, though we did have no assists versus 3 turnovers. The Indiana transfer, Armand Franklin, he has struggled a bit lately, but he had a good game on Tuesday evening. 2-4 on threes, 3-6 three on twos, finished with 12 points and 3 rebounds in 26-35 as a starter. And a nice game off the bench for the 6-11 big man, Caden Shedrick. 30-49 for Shedrick off the bench. 4-7 from the field, all twos. Did go just 5-8 of on free throws, but he finished with 13 points, 8 rebounds, including 4 offensive boards and 2 steals. So UVA got contributions from a bunch of guys on Tuesday evening. Next up for Virginia, home to Miami this Saturday evening at 5. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 243, will feature in-depth reaction to the new name for the team formerly known as the Redskins and then the Washington football team, as well as my thoughts on how the reveal, how the rollout of the new name actually went. How did 2.2.22 actually go? We will discuss on Thursday's show. Also on Thursday's show, a post-game games for the Capitals, Wizards, and Virginia Tech on Wednesday night. The Caps will host the Edmonton Oilers Wednesday night at 7. The Wizards will be at the Philadelphia 76ers Wednesday night at 7. And the Hokies will host Georgia Tech Wednesday night at 9. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday.
Okay, we wound up 5 and 11. Not very good.